Hello, I'm Tony Denbach, the lead pastor of Clearview Community Church, one church in multiple locations serving the communities of the Georgian Triangle. I'm so glad that you have joined us today, whether online, by television, or on our podcast. I also wanted to invite you to join us at any time at one of our locations. You can find more information about dates and locations and times of service at our website, clearviewcommunity.church. Now, today we're talking about church. Here's the thing. When we think of church, we often think of a building. And we say things like this. I'm going to church. But the Bible tells us that the church isn't a building. The church is people. Specifically, the definition of church is a group of people who have been called apart to do a specific work. And that is to glorify God with our lives. Now, may I say that if we as a church are ever going to reach our potential, we need you. We need you to continue to bring your time, your talent, and your resources, and be involved. Now, let me just say that this message today is directed to me first, but then to all of us. Our world is in crisis today. Now, that's not news. We can look around us in homes and institutions, in businesses and in government and in churches. This world is in trouble. From Main Street to Bay Street to Queen's Park to Parliament Hill. And in times of trouble, we look for someone to step forward to bring a positive change. And the truth is, no one man or woman has the answers that we need. It's God himself we need. But God has also chosen, for some strange reason, to work through people. Now, as I record this, we have just concluded our annual week of prayer for Clearview Community Church. Now, we always do this as we begin a new year so that we can begin with a clean slate. It's awesome to look back on the faithfulness of God over the 35-plus year history of Clearview Community Church. It has been an incredible journey to get us to where we are. But we're not here to look back. We're here to look forward. Now, I firmly believe that our best years are ahead of us. God has called us to make a difference, to declare the truth about Jesus Christ to a world that no longer believes, to help non-churched people become fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. That's our mission. Now, how do we do that? We do that through our Sunday services. We do that through ministries like Alpha and small groups. We do that through mentoring one-on-one, through children's ministries and through youth ministries, through music and preaching and building relationships. We do that by helping people in need, by providing a place to meet with God, by supporting missionaries who take the message around the world. Ultimately, we do that by bringing ourselves to God and allowing him to use us individually and as a body of believers. This is what it means to serve God. And these are the kinds of people that we are looking for. Now, several years ago, we had a visitation pastor by the name of Carl Croker. Some of you may remember him. He passed away just a few days ago, and his funeral took place a week before this recording. He was a wonderful man. Uh, We were talking one day, and he spoke to me about four qualities that he always looked for in church men and women. I liked what he said so much that I wrote it down and I kept it. 
It's going to serve as my outline today. First of all, he said, we're looking for valiant men and women whose hearts God has touched. Now, the reference for this is found in 1 Samuel chapter 10 and verse 26. And the context for this was the appointment of the first king of Israel, Saul. If you remember the story, even though Saul was a big man and a head taller than anyone else, he was a hesitant leader. He didn't want to be in charge. He didn't feel qualified. He tried to hide from the prophet who would appoint him and anoint him as king. And eventually, though, he submitted to the call of God on his life, and he was anointed king. A short while later, it says that God changed Saul's heart, and the Spirit of God fell on him. He faced the challenge of leading a nation, though, that had never before had a king. But as he left the coronation celebrations to begin the task of establishing the kingdom of Israel, Let's read what verse 26 says. Saul also went to his home in Gibeah, accompanied by valiant men whose hearts God had touched. Now, sometimes when we talk about people and we say that they're touched, it's not a compliment. But in this case, it's a good thing. As these people watch the events surrounding Saul's installation to the throne, God did something in their hearts. There would have been tens of thousands, if not literally hundreds of thousands of people who had observed the same things as they had, but God had done something in their hearts. They felt a specific responsibility to do something. It says that they were valiant. Now that word means possessing or showing courage and determination. They were not satisfied to allow Saul to go alone, especially when others were already murmuring against him. So when Saul went, they went with him to stand with him, to support him. Now, in every church, there is a need for people whose hearts God has touched, people who are not satisfied to leave things as they are, people who want to be a part of the solution. Now, my firm belief is that he who began a good work in you will complete it. God will accomplish his purposes. The question is, who are the people that he is calling to be difference makers? Those are the kind of people who, when they become aware of something that needs to be done, they raise their hand and say, use me. We're looking for that kind of people. We're also looking for people who will faithfully stand in their place. In Judges 7, verses 19 through 21, it says this, Gideon and the hundred men with him reached the edge of the camp at the beginning of the middle watch, just after they had changed the guard. They blew their trumpets and broke the jars that were in their hands. The three companies blew the trumpets and smashed the jars, grasping the torches in their left hands and holding in their right hands the trumpets they were to blow, they shouted, a sword for the Lord and for Gideon. While each man held his position around the camp, all the Midianites ran, crying out as they fled. Now the King James Version of this verse states it this way, and they stood everyone in his place. See, the story of Gideon is one of my favorites. Gideon was a coward, hiding in his winepress, threshing wheat, 
hoping that the enemy Midianites would not notice him. Now, for those not familiar with the story, the Midianites were an enemy that lived close to Israel. They were larger and they were much more powerful. At harvest time, they would come in and steal the harvest and destroy what they didn't take. Well, Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press, hoping that he would not be discovered. But God called him to stand up to these bullies and to defend his people. After responding to God's call, Gideon in turn put the call out throughout Israel and tens of thousands of people came to help. But God told him to send home all of those who were afraid. Most of them left. He then told him to eliminate some more until finally the number was whittled down to only 300 men. And God said, that's enough. The enemy they faced was tens of thousands strong, and they were described as thick as locusts. The Israelites were outnumbered 400 to 1. Those are long odds. You have to be a little crazy to walk into a battle with the odds stacked against you like that. But God gave Gideon a strategy to throw the enemy into confusion. It was a strategy that would require each man to do his part. So in the middle of the night, the three companies of 100 men each took their strategic places around the enemy camp. Each man had a trumpet and each man had a light that was hidden in a jar. And a trumpet would normally represent a company of soldiers. This was the deceptive part of this picture. So here it is. The enemy camp had bedded down for the night and would have been asleep now for a couple of hours anyway. Their tents filled the valley. This would be around 10 o'clock at night. Gideon and his men then blew their trumpets and smashed their jars and lights and noise lit up the hillside all around the enemy camp. And the Midianites awoke and ran away terrified and confused. Gideon then called out the troops that he'd sent home to come and chase down the enemy. It was a huge victory, but there was no victory unless each of those 300 men stood faithfully in their place. The church is like that. There are times when we need leaders to emerge like Gideon, but we also need people who are willing to faithfully stand in their place. Those people who stood with Gideon weren't named. They didn't become famous for their bravery. They faithfully did what was required and the enemy was defeated. Edward Everett Hale said this, I am only one, but I am one. I cannot do everything, but I can do something. And because I cannot do everything, I will not refuse to do the something that I can do. For us to minister effectively in our community, in our communities, it takes the faithful efforts of many people who are not doing it for glory or a pat on the back, but simply because it's the right thing to do. We're looking for people who will faithfully stand in their place. Thirdly, we're looking for people who will have the heart of a shepherd. In John chapter 10, verses 11 through 15, Jesus declared this, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. 
just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. Now here Jesus is talking about the difference between a true shepherd and someone who's simply hired to watch the sheep. And of course, Jesus is talking about people and not animals. He demonstrated what it meant to be a good shepherd when he laid down his life to save us. A good shepherd is willing to risk everything for the flock. He knows each of his sheep by name and will protect them with his very life if necessary. Throughout the Gospels, Jesus demonstrates the value of people. In Luke 15, we see the parable of the lost sheep, where the shepherd leaves the flock to find the one sheep that has wandered away. The chapter also features the parable of the prodigal son, demonstrating the love that God has for each of us. He will go to incredible lengths, even for the one who wandered away of his own accord. Now, I want to let you in on a secret. I know that some of you love the people of this area a great deal. Some of you are brokenhearted for those who are our friends and our neighbors and who yet remain far from God, not knowing how much he loves them. But as much as you and I may love those people and maybe can name many of them, God loves them more. One of our core beliefs at Clearview Community Church is that every single person matters to God. Now, I don't care what you've done or how bad you think you are, you are not beyond the reach of God's grace. We're looking for people who believe that everybody is somebody for whom Christ died and who will treat every individual with respect and dignity. We're looking for people who will have the heart of a shepherd. Finally, we're looking for people with the boldness to stand in the face of opposition. The book of Acts chronicles the early days of the church after it was established. The Holy Spirit was given. Ordinary, everyday people started preaching the gospel. People found God and joined the church, and the church's enemies started reacting. In Acts chapter 4, we find two of the disciples, Peter and John, preaching in the temple. Some of the Jewish leaders who had had Jesus killed arrested them and threw them in jail. The next day, they brought them before the council, and they questioned them. Afterward, they threatened them and commanded them to stop preaching, and they sent them away. Now, I want you to think about the scene for a moment. This was Jerusalem, merely weeks after Jesus had been tortured and crucified. And these were the same people who had demanded that Pilate kill Jesus. These were not idle threats, and the disciples knew it. So what was their response? We see it beginning in Acts chapter 4, verse 29. It says, Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform miraculous signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. What would you think that they would pray for? God, please make them stop. <laughs> make the bad people go away. No, that's not what they prayed. They understood that sometimes God doesn't remove us from the storm. He brings us through it. They realized that their greatest need was not deliverance, but boldness. 
One of my favorite verses is found in 1 Corinthians chapter 16 and verse 13, especially the way the old King James Version translates it. That's what I grew up with. The language is a little old, but it paints a picture. Paul tells the Corinthians as he's ending his letter, watch ye, stand fast in the faith, quit ye like men, be strong. Simply put, he's telling them to stand their ground and act like grown men and women. Now, sometimes that can be scary. Truth be told, there are times that I have felt like an abject failure as a leader, as a pastor, as a husband and a father. There have been other times when I've watched my kids succeed at something and stuck my chest out with pride, even though I know I don't deserve the credit. We struggle sometimes, don't we? One father said that he felt like a dachshund in in waist-deep snow. He was way over his head. Well, aren't we all at times? Nelson Mandela, who endured years in prison in his struggle to end the evil practice of apartheid in South Africa, said, I learned that courage was not the absence of fear, but the triumph over it. The brave man is not he who does not feel afraid, but he who conquers that fear. But let me tell you, you're not alone. We're walking this road together, and God walks it with us. If we mess up, let's not be afraid to look for help. There's a bunch of people here who will help you get back up and encourage you to try again. See, the cost of failure is too high. Stand fast in the faith. Trust God. Act like a grown man or woman. Be strong. Now, I've talked today about the kind of people we're looking for. We're looking for valiant men and women whose hearts God has touched. We're looking for people who will faithfully stand in their place. We're looking for people who will have the heart of a shepherd. And finally, we're looking for people with the boldness to stand in the face of opposition. I believe that God has called us as a church to minister to the communities of the Georgian Triangle. I believe that he has a plan to see these communities transformed for his glory. Pray about what God would have you do and then go and do it. Would you pray with me? Dear God, today I pray for each one who has listened to this message. None of us are here by accident. You have a purpose for each one. For those who don't know you, may today be the day that they open their heart to receive you and that they will follow you from this day forward. For those who know you, may they commit themselves to follow you wherever you lead and to enhance your reputation by the way that they love the people around them. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So may the God of our fathers and mothers give us courage and wisdom to both know and walk the path ahead. May the pioneer of our faith, Jesus, go before us and guide our steps. May the work of the Holy Spirit empower us and renew our hope. God bless you. Thanks for listening today.